Chief Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss an article that was recently released by Dr. Daryl Peel, who's a professor and extension livestock marketing specialist at Oklahoma State University. The title of the article that he wrote, Feedlot Trends in Management and Productivity. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Peel. You bet. Happy to be here. Well, Dr. Peel, this article came out earlier this week on December 4th and really, I think, very interesting where you go back and look at trends and feed yards. Uh, share with us some of the data you're looking at and some of what's occurred in the feed yard as we look back in terms of what's happening there. Yeah, you bet. You know, this data comes from a, uh, a program called Focus on Feedlots. It's actually uh, compiled by Kansas State University. It's a monthly survey of participating feedlots on basic feedlot parameters. And, and so this data, and this data actually goes back farther, but this article I really focused on the last 15 years or so, looking at some of the trends in production, some of the management uh, things we can see in this data and, and so on. And, and you know, it, it certainly highlights the fact that we continue to see a lot of, uh, a lot of change and evolution in feedlot production in this country. Yeah, let's just talk about some of those trends. I think some of the things that uh, jump out to me, I think one of the biggest ones that really got my attention is the change in days on feed, how long some of these cattle are being fed now compared to where they were back in 2010. Yeah, that's right. It continues to go up. Um, you know, this this article focused on the steer data just to, to kind of narrow the focus. The heifer data tells the same story relative to heifers. And uh, we do continue to see the days on feed grow and there's a couple things that come out of that. So I should say on days on feed, you know, if you look at a 12 month moving average, which smooths out the seasonality, that's very important in all of this feedlot data. There's a lot of seasonality, but if you're trying to focus on the trends, I use a 12 month moving average to smooth that out. And, and uh, you know, we're up now around uh, in the most recent 12 months for steers, the average days on feed is like 187 days. And so that suggests that the turnover rate, if you flip that over and say, okay, there's only 365 days in a year for feeding the steers for 187 days, we're getting slightly less than two turns of cattle per year. On the steer side, it's it's a, a little bit shorter, of course, for heifers. And so, uh, you know, and, and that sort of begs the question of, you know, why are we getting these days on feed? And, and it comes from a couple places. We're putting more gain on cattle in feedlots than we once did. Uh, and some of it comes from the, the the weights of cattle that we're utilizing in feedlots these days. Yeah, I think that's the other thing that uh, jumped out to me as well, is just looking at what these cattle have been placed at in terms of weight, and then also looking at what's their final weight. Again, going back to 2010, you know, a lot of cattle coming out weighing 1350 on these steers. Uh, now we're up in that 1450 area. That's a pretty major change over that time period. Yeah, that's right. You know, the cattle continue to get bigger uh, on the output side and, and, and specifically relative to the days on feed and, and the total amount of gain. Uh, you know, you in this data, you can sort of partition that uh, there's about 123 pounds increase over the 15 year period in the total amount of gain that's coming in the feedlots. But you can actually partition that into about two thirds of that is coming from the fact that the, the final weights, the sale weights of these cattle have continued to go up, as you just alluded. So the cattle are bigger coming out. They're also in more recent years in particular, they're lighter going in. And I, and I think that's probably just a reflection of the fact that cattle numbers are tight. We've kind of pulled cattle ahead. 
And so we, you know, we're placing them at lighter weights because that's what's available. And the combination of lighter weights and taking them to bigger weights on the on the final end means we're putting more pounds on these cattle uh, in the feedlots. And so, um, you know, carcass weights have continued to go up for many, many years. And obviously that's reflected here in these live weights that we see uh, continuing to increase on the feedlot cattle. So as you think about the days on feed for those cattle, of course, average daily gain performance in the yard. This is one that I thought there might be some trends showing some change here towards greater average daily gain. But interestingly to me, as we look back again, going back to 2010, uh, not not really any trends there. We've kind of just kind of oscillated back and forth a little bit, depending on the year, weather, I think, and performance. Yeah, that's right. You do see some variation even in the trends here uh, over time. I think you're probably right. That reflects uh, sometimes when we've had uh, weather events that have had a prolonged effect. There's not really a trend. And honestly, uh, at least for the last 10 of these years, if you were to fit a trend to this data, I think you'd see a slight downtrend in average daily gain. Um, and conversely, you'd, you'd certainly, I think, see an, a, a bit of an uptrend in the uh, feed to gain ratio in terms of feed efficiency. Yeah, that's the other number I was going to say caught my attention. And it kind of makes sense intuitively if you think about it. These longer fed cattle, I think if we look at carcass data, we're seeing more you know, gill grade threes. And, and so that's different than we were 15 years ago. So I guess as we think about feed conversion, uh, takes more energy to put on fat than it does muscle. Is that part of the reason maybe we're not seeing these feed to gain ratios uh, as good as they were 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, I think it's, it's it's a function of of animal size and the uh, and and as you said the sort of the the endpoint that we're taking these cattle to it's both of those things. Obviously, bigger cattle just by the nature of maintenance requirements are going to require more feed, and so generally bigger cattle you know have a, a higher feed to gain ratio, and that's reflected in here. The average daily gain number is a little bit harder to explain, as you said. I it's not clear to me because generally bigger cattle also have better gains and we we don't really see that in here. So I think there's some, you know, there's some questions uh, maybe that need some additional work. I don't have the answers necessarily on that part of it to, to sort of explain some of these production trends. But one of the things to keep in mind here is that, you know, we, we're able to take these cattle bigger and put more gain on in the feedlots simply be, uh, it's due to a lot of things, but I think a lot of it has to do with just the way the genetics in these cattle have changed. And we can take them bigger. They have the genetic potential to go bigger, and we're certainly taking advantage of that. One of the other numbers that I think got my attention, and there's been a lot of conversation in the industry about this, but what's happening in terms of death loss in the feed yard and trends over time. Uh, this is one over the last 13 years, there's a clear trend and it's not in a positive direction. It means uh, we've got more death loss happening in the feed yard than we did back in 2010. Uh, just talk about that a little bit because this is one I think that's been a, a challenge for us as we look at the feed yard and try to figure out how do we address this? Yeah, you know, this is one that I know is a source of immense frustration on the part of feedlots, feedlot managers, because uh, we do continue to see these these trends higher in, in death loss. I think for a lot of those years, the, you know, the, the big culprit that people would point to obviously was res respiratory disease in these cattle. Uh, although I would say, and maybe that's reflected in the fact that this thing has kind of jumped up here just in the last couple of years higher, I'm I'm hearing more conversation now about basically heart failure in some of these big cattle uh, sort of late in the feeding period. And uh, that's a particularly troubling one because 
a lot of times, uh, you know, respiratory disease and, and, and death loss from that occurs earlier in the feeding period. If they're going to die, you want them to die earlier in the process. But now these cattle that are staying on feed and then dying later is, is really expensive on top of the obvious loss of, of losing the cattle. Well, I think it also is interesting to me as we think back a little bit, you know, just average days on feed, cattle are staying in longer. And so uh, it is an interesting scenario. I think a, a question that right now, I think we have more questions than answers on, but uh, one that I know there's a lot of interest in and a lot of desire to try to figure out how do we change this trend? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, part of it, I mean, you can, I guess, call it a, a, a probability thing. The longer you own cattle, there, there's a, there's more risk that something can happen to them. So that's part of it as well. But, I, you know, I think this kind of points to some questions the industry really needs and, and will continue to wrestle with. And that is, uh, uh, you know, probably these cattle are coming in with more challenges. And given the nature of the feedlot system that we use, and and it's, you know, we, we have fairly intensive production processes, any sort of weakness, if you will, in the system in terms of the overall health or the preparedness of these cattle coming in then starts to show up. And I think that's what we're struggling with to a large extent. So obviously the feed yard owners and managers, they're paying attention to this data and trying to figure out, you know, how do we learn from this? What do we take from it and use to improve our, our management practices? As you look at this data and you think back to the stalker feeder phase, the cow-calf phase, what are some lessons here or some things that might apply to those two sectors? Well, you know, I think becoming more aware and in, in, you know, in terms of uh, folks that work in the health arena specifically, that there's probably a lot more connections to feedlot health issues, for example, that really come from what is, uh, you know, what the background of those cattle were in terms of management and practices and so on at the cow-calf level in particular, to some extent at the feedlot level, I think the stocker guys really experience a lot of the same things that the feedlots do. Certainly, as I've talked to them, they have a lot of the same frustrations in terms of, of some of the health challenges they face. So, But, you know, I think we're learning more and more that there's a likelihood that, you know, some of these things really do probably originate back at the cow-calf level. And we don't have the answers yet, but I think that's an area that we're going to continue to see a lot of emphasis and focus and of course, it's a challenge in the beef industry because of the complex nature of the system with multiple production layers. We move cattle around a lot around the country, and so there's a lot of stress. And and so, you know, there, it, it's not easy to, A, figure out what the situation is, and it's even more difficult maybe to figure out how you change the, the flow of money and the incentives for who can do things better and make improvements. Uh, that's a real challenge in the industry. Anything else on this feed yard side you think jumps out to you as you look at the data, things that are of interest? No, the only other thing I was going to mention, and we've observed this as we continue to collect auction feeder cattle data and, and look at things that affect value. And, and one of the things that has happened in, in recent years, much more prominently now, particularly in the fall of the year, is the premium and the really demand of buyers for long wing calves. And I think that's a response to this very death loss issue that we're looking at. You know, one of the ways that uh, one of the only ways they feel like right now that they can can utilize to try to, uh, you know, get past some of those health challenges for cattle coming into feedlots or even into stocker operations 
is to reward producers for longer weaning times and give those calves more time to get through that process and get healed up. So we use things like VAC 45 programs pretty consistently. And if you'll remember history, we started with VAC 30 programs originally. There's not very many of those left anymore. 45 days now of weaning is considered an absolute minimum. But if you talk to the buyers, they'll tell you 60 to 90 days is really more what they're looking for these days. And I think that's a direct response to these health challenges that we're looking at. Well, Dr. Peel, if it's all right with you, let's change gears a little bit. And I had you on the Beef Watch podcast back in September. We talked about market outlook, market conditions. Over the last six weeks here, the futures market anyway has uh, taken a sharp downturn. Uh, this is causing, I think, a lot of questions in the industry. And we'd just like to give opportunity to comment on that. What are you seeing? Are, have fundamentals changed or, or what's your perspective on the markets right now? You know, it's a really interesting and challenging time right now and frustrating on the part of producers, certainly, because the fundamentals really haven't changed. And, and my overall outlook uh, has not changed, certainly going into next year and beyond in terms of the, the, the underlying supply fundamentals for the industry are going to continue to get tighter. Uh, there's going to be a lot of support. We're still expecting average higher prices across the board for feeder cattle and fed cattle in 2024. But we had such a run-up over about a 10, 11-month period from the end of 2022 until the fall of 2023. And, uh, you know, with the run-up we had in the future side, of course, it's not surprising to expect, you know, kind of a profit-taking correction in there. That that run-up was built up of a lot of long positions. And, and uh, the idea that you would see a correction where you could take some of those profits out of the market wasn't a surprise, but it really then kind of snowballed for a variety of reasons. I think, you know, obviously the surprise September cattle on feed report and the big placements kind of took the market by by surprise and, and with a shock. And just the general nervousness across markets, broadly speaking, geopolitical events with all the things that have happened, all contributed to this kind of snowball of negative sentiment that has played out and, and at the moment is still kind of playing out in the futures market. But the, I still view it as a correction, uh, albeit an overdone correction, a correction much more uh, dramatic than I would have expected. And I do think it'll stabilize here and we'll move past this and then we'll get back to, you know, really the underlying fundamentals a little bit more cleanly. Futures markets, by their nature, can do whatever they want in the short run, but eventually they're going to have to come back to the market fundamentals, and I believe they will. One of the other things we were talking about before we started our conversation today was just uh, what's going on with cow numbers. I guess comment a little bit there. You've been tracking some of what you're seeing in terms of marketing and sales of heifers. What's some of the indicators right now in terms of what's happening with retention of heifers and how that might shape building of the cow herd? Yeah, you know, even coming into this year, early in the year, if you looked at the numbers based on the re the heifer replacement inventory that we had available, and, and of course, we break that data on, on a January 1 basis, we can break that into heifers that are going to calve this year, so sort of bred heifers, as well as heifers that we're saving to breed uh, in the current year. And just the, the basis of those numbers from early this year suggested that we were going to see some continued uh, liquidation of beef cow herd in the U.S. As the year has gone on, you know, beef cow slaughter has dropped, but it has not dropped enough to suggest that we really stop that process. Heifer slaughter stayed very large through the first half of the year, and it is declining some now. 
but for the whole years, it's not going to be down enough. Uh, and that, you know, if you'll remember on October 1st, the heifer on feed inventory was record large. So saying that we still were placing a lot of heifers in feedlots and all of that to say that it's pretty clear now that on January 1 of 2024, the beef cow herd will be smaller. I've actually upped my estimate of the decrease uh, on a year over year basis. I think we'll probably see a bigger than 2%, maybe a 2.5% year over year additional decrease in the beef cow herd going into 2024. Uh, that's a little uncertain based on some of the data, but that that's the way it looks right now. So uh, we're going to continue to tighten this thing up a lot. The one thing that's been a surprise this fall has just been the fact that coming into the fall, I would have said, well, okay, we don't have the heifers to avoid some additional liquidation in 2023, but we'll save a lot of heifer calves in in the fall of 2023 going into, uh, you know, going into the coming year. And I don't think we're doing that. I think market conditions, financial conditions for producers are such that we're marketing most of these heifers in the short run here. So I don't think any any heifer retention is really building in 2023. We'll put it off for another year at this point. I think that's very interesting. And again, we think about just the biological system here. You know, heifer calves born in 2024, they would breed in 2025, calve in 2026. We don't actually see their progeny coming into the marketplace, you know, till the fall of 2026, actual harvest 2027. So that's yeah. a ways out. Uh, it's it not going to change this very fast, is it? No, you know, I mean, the biology of, of beef cattle and the nature of the system always means it's a slow process. And the longer we wait to start, the more we push it off on the back end. So I think you're absolutely right. Even if we had saved calves in the fall of 23, we were looking out to probably 2026. Now, as you as you just uh, timed it out there, I think we're looking at you know late 2026 into 2027 before we could put together much in the way of increased beef production in response to where we find ourselves with our overall uh, herd size and and productive capability at this point. Well, Dr. Peel, anything else on the market outlook in terms of where you think we are, where we want to pay attention to as we go forward? No, you know, again, this fall has been a challenge uh, just because of this futures market impact. I do think it's still a correction. I think we'll get past this. We will pick up the fundamentals as we go into the new year. I really expect the annual inventory numbers, which will come out in very late January, last day of January, I think, uh, will will confirm that we are in a very, very tight supply situation. And going forward, the process of retaining heifers, which we have not started at this point, means that we're going to see a lot of additional tightness in feeder cattle supplies from 2024 on for two plus years at a minimum. Uh, and so uh, we've got a lot of, uh, of very tight supplies ahead of us and uh, a lot of higher price potential that's going to play out over the coming coming months. And, and producers, you know, hopefully are, are going to get in a position from a drought standpoint or a drought recovery standpoint, as well as financially be in a position to kind of plan ahead and, and take advantage of the potential that, that'll be offered in this market. Well, Dr. Peel, thanks again for joining me today. Always uh, enjoy visiting with you and getting your perspective on what's going on in the industry. Yeah, you bet. I'm very happy to, to visit with you at any time. Well, for more information on Dr. Peel and his work at Oklahoma State University there, you can find him in the Department of Ag Economics. His contact information is there.